We should note that he not only has won the battle, but he's solidifying his victory through somewhat authoritarian measures like sacking the judiciary and getting rid of those who are investigating him for corruption. At the same time, this guy does have an 80% approval rating from his people, and yeah. he was democratically elected. There's an authoritarian tint to this whole thing. The strong man who says that uh, Bitcoin is the future. The only thing we can do right now is just wait and see what happens because uh, we've really never seen anything like this in the world. I don't know about you guys, but a nation state adopts Bitcoin as legal tender was not on my bingo card. Not at all. Welcome to Opinionated with Ben Schiller. Ben is a features editor at Coindesk. He's a seasoned business journalist, and he'll be talking with some of the most fascinating contributors to Coindesk Daily opinion section. Ben is joined by two Coindesk reporters, co-host Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. This episode is sponsored by PumaPay. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, Ben, Anna, and Danny. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Opinionated. Uh, with me today is Anna Bedikova and Danny Nelson from Coindesk. Hello. Howdy. I'm Ben Schiller. So, Danny, I have to ask you, you've just come back from a crazy time in Miami this weekend. Uh, how was that, uh, hanging out with all those people? Oh, my goodness. I haven't seen so many people in over a year. Uh, and most of them, at least at the conference, were probably not vaccinated. So that was a time. But it was a pretty amazing to see the energy around Bitcoin, especially at, at the conference itself. So many different people at the conference. Very few, I would say, companies. There were they had booths, but most of the people at the conference itself were real retail traders who have just gotten into the space and were fanboying it up for a weekend. I don't think it was nearly as productive work-wise as a serious suit-oriented stuffy conference like our consensus might be. But right. in terms of a, a party for a weekend or an extended weekend, as it was in my case, you really couldn't find a better option than in Miami. And I got to say, I'd never have to do it again. Um, <laughs> did, did you have a chance to talk to those retail investors, though? I'm too much of an elitist to uh, mingle with such nonsense. But no, I, I spoke to a couple of them. I, I just wonder if you heard anything interesting from them why people are getting into the space at this moment? So at, the, at this moment, I think that they're primarily interested in buying the dip. Um, that's, <laughs> again, that's the, the case. Again. again. Yeah, they keep we already the bought it at 45, then at 40, then at 35, then now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're buying the dip. They, they haven't seen prices like this in weeks. So you got to get it while they can, because in, in a couple of weeks, it'll be an even better deal. Who knows? All right, good. Uh, I'm glad you had some R&I. &I. Definitely deserve that. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about ransoms and ransomware, which is obviously a hot, hot topic. We've seen some big uh, cyber attacks recently aimed at key infrastructure like the Colonial Pipeline and another on the meat processing giant JBS, worried about our steaks and our pork chops. And these attacks have involved ransom demands using so-called ransomware and the denomination is normally in bitcoin so there's kind of an expanding conversation about the role of crypto in the rise of ransomware and ransom payments and now the biden administration is exploring the role of crypto in these attacks and uh, i think the national security advisor jake sullivan was out this week saying that we need to quote deal with the cryptocurrency challenge 
which lies at the core of how these ransom transactions are played out. So there's some disagreement uh, in crypto and more widely about the role of Bitcoin and, and crypto in the rise of ransomware. And we're going to explore that today with Anna and Danny. And on the one hand, there's certain people who say, as a person in the Wall Street Journal said recently, that we should just ban crypto because uh, this is what's driving this. And then other people say uh, we, we need a much more nuanced and sophisticated response than that. So um, what do you think, guys? Uh, is this something that crypto should be worried about? Or is this just sort of people bashing Bitcoin again? I think that, you know, in the short term, I guess it really depends on what you mean by worried. If we're talking about short term price action, then I, we should absolutely be worried because these news stories will continue to hit and continue to escalate as the uh, Biden administration focuses on crypto, honestly, to a greater extent than really any other presidential administration has before. So this story is only just getting off the ground. And as more um, actions come out of the government, we are, I think we are going to continue to see the price take hits. But in the long term, I think it's really the opposite story. This is going to be probably a good thing for crypto because we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think that Bitcoin can continue to exist completely outside of the regulatory landscape. And many of the changes that are being proposed aren't really different from the rules that are affecting cash. Like one proposal from the IRS is to uh, ha force the reporting of $10,000 transactions and up. That's something that already happens with cash transactions in the United States. And so it really is only natural that you would um, apply the same scrutiny to crypto. So in the long term, I think this is going to be an important step in making it more regulated and making it more accessible, at least in the view of some people who might have been waiting on the sidelines because of the lack of action from the feds. But I think the worry is that uh, this is going to be some kind of Trojan horse for people who want to crack down, so-called crack down on Bitcoin anyway, to now have a good excuse to do that. Is that something we should be worried about, Anna? This question has two sides. For one, it's naive to reject the idea that ransomware probably did become easier with crypto because I'm not very actually educated on the subject, but I'm curious, how did ransom seekers act before there was crypto available or if there were a lot of such cases before 2009? There are probably a lot of options with uh, good old cash and getting a bank account in some jurisdiction that the U.S. wouldn't be too fast to reach to or like any regulator that is in charge of saving the ransom victim. But on the other side, look how fast the, the law enforcement was able to trace those ransom bitcoins. In the case of the colonial pipeline, the victim apparently reported that they have to pay this ransom and this is them paying that. And then that Bitcoin was traced right into the service uh, that the attackers used. And then, uh, lo and behold, the U.S. law enforcement seized the data center somewhere in the U.S. And they got access to the keys and recovered that Bitcoin that those careless attackers were keeping on a hosted wallet or, or exchange or whatever. It can be an attack vector on crypto, but at the same time, you can very clearly see that it makes these money flows so transparent. And plus, many of the attackers and people who are, you know, who can be used as a poster image 
uh, of the like bad crypto, like dirty crypto, like terrorist organizations or hackers or darknet marketplaces. When you look at the money flows, like how they sell their Bitcoins, you don't see too much users of like mixers or CoinJoin or whatever. All this money ends up, in most cases, all these like quote unquote dark, dirty money end up on centralized exchanges that can block them, that can give the users up to the law enforcement. And, and here we go. It's so transparent. It's, it's like a glass box. Yep. I mean, this is quite a sort of teachable moment, isn't it? I mean, people who think that crypto is anonymous and facilitating easy criminal proceeds, uh, this is a good example of how that's not really true, how it is, as you say, transparent. And it is actually providing a trail for law enforcement to get back these dirty money so um exactly what, what do you think the way forward danny is uh what, what sort of solution would you be calling for if you were a ransom seeker well right, you... if you're on the side of the angels here <laughs> well yeah that, that, that's my question the what, what do you mean by solution from the government point of view they, they've made a number of recommendations and put forward a number of ideas do any of those ideas seem uh, feasible for you you know i think that the the big struggle here is trying to understand the extent to which the government is plugged into these systems. I've seen a lot of very interesting theories about how they managed to pull this off. Some of them are probably more plausible than others. You could uh, have them running a honeypot mixer on the dark web. I find that uh, highly unlikely and uh, legally dubious, but it is a fun one to think about. The, the idea that the feds have this service for uh, laundering money, essentially, that's up there. That would be such a huge story. It would be. And it almost seems more plausible in light of the news that happened yesterday about this uh, encrypted app thing that um, the feds were running, I think, with their counterparts in, it might have been Australia, that it was an encrypted chat service that uh, eight, at least 800 people who are now, have now been arrested were using to talk about their, their misdeeds. And the feds were plugged into everything because they ran the app. So they were able to use that information to crack down. And the idea that maybe they also run a laundering service, while absurd, seems slightly less absurd now because we are seeing that uh, other news uh, so quickly on its heels. That's a great point. I mean, that seems very likely that they would be running such a service in light of that news. Well, I don't know if they really would because the, it's, there's a difference, I think, between facilitating communications and also actively laundering money. You've, you're trending toward Iran-Contra. At that point, selling weapons here to fund the revolutionaries there. I don't know. A lot of people would say that electronic communication and electronic money are basically the same thing and they're protected by the same carve outs, maybe. I do think that law enforcement could do something like that. And we know the stories. This encrypted messenger, Anom, so called Anom, is, is not the first case. There was even the, the entire like phone manufacturing operation. So there used to be like, special encrypted phone brand that was extremely popular among like drug cartels or, or whatnot. I think it took place in, in Europe some time ago. The, the law enforcement infiltrated the, the phone manufacturing itself. And all those criminals were basically buying phones that were bugged by design and a lot of people got arrested or whatnot. This explanation is a bit too sophisticated for the case of Darkside and Colonial Pipeline. Because I did a little fun story trying to track the Bitcoin of, of dark side hackers. 
it was not such a sophisticated money laundering strategy. The wallets that were attributed to Darkseid by blockchain analytics systems had more connections with centralized exchanges than to mixing services. And, and when you hear that the dark, like those ransom money were seized by seizing a data center located in the US, so that the hackers that were up to no good didn't even self-custody their, their criminal Bitcoin. They were holding it on some service that were providing keys for them. And I, I mean, this is actually an astonishing level of low sophistication. So like, why do you have to hack Bitcoin or like hack a wallet or uh, run a honeypot operation with your own mixer when you just need to track those money to a centralized service and go to that service and say, hey, here's my badge. G give me the keys to this account. And, and that's done. Afraid of missing out on the latest crypto opportunities? Well, then it's time to head on over to pumapay.io. PumaPay's first liquidity pool is now live on PancakeSwap. Deposit liquidity today and claim your share of a 750 million PMA token reward. Hurry now. Visit pumapay.io today. That's pumapay.io. Isn't it fun to be in a position where we just kind of understand all the ins and outs of this so much where we're looking at the crime and we think, well, they should have done it this way. They should have done it that way. It's where we, we, we know too much <laughs> for our own good. We should probably, uh, we're recording right now, but we should probably team up and uh, talk about this later uh, if we have any good heist ideas. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually talking about the solutions. I think this, uh, I'm more interested about the solution for crypto users you know, than, than the solution for governments or for hackers. So I think it's important for crypto users to kind of uh, start coming to terms with the idea. If they want to be involved with this industry, you know, it will have to do with the actors they, they might not approve. It will have to do with uh, ransom hackers, with, uh, you know, drug trafficking and whatnot. But it will also have to do with people who are unbanked, who are financially censored by their governments, and so what? You have to deal with this mixed pool of various creatures, some of which you don't like. That's, that's my opinion. Maybe you disagree with me. <laughs> no, I mean, I completely agree with you, but I mean, this, this is a kind of reputational problem for the industry, surely. I mean, you can't just dismiss this, and in the same way that you can't just dismiss the kind of fact that lots of people are not using Bitcoin because of the climate change issue. I mean, you can say it doesn't matter, but uh, it is a material problem for the industry, surely. That's another, yeah, th th that's another controversial thing that, you know, people are trying to settle. Again, I think it's naive to kind of pretend this problem does not exist and it's just like media FUD. I would agree that mining bitcoins on, on fossil fuel is a pretty shitty idea and, and probably shouldn't be happening. But I, I would not that easily agree with the thesis that, you know, Bitcoin itself is a destructive enterprise that is just, you know, wasting resources on nothing you know, provoking climate change and uh, harming the ecology and the environment. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't mean to get into the whole environmental issue. I was just sort of saying that this is sort of another thing that's come up uh, recently that uh, some people don't seem to want to deal with uh, as an issue and they just want to dismiss it as, as far as you say. 
Well, to carry on with that, actually, for a second, because I think that there's we have an, there's an opportunity to highlight almost a positive. There was that report a couple of weeks ago that New York State was maybe thinking about uh, basically banning all cryptocurrency mining operations for at, at least three years so they could figure out the impact. Well, the, the bill has now passed the Senate. It's going to the effectively the House in New York State, except it's very different now. Uh, instead of all crypto mining is banned, it's only new projects that want to set up shop within carbon producing power plants that will be affected and they won't be permitted. Uh, the existing ones will continue to function. There won't be any blanket ban. And there will be a study that, that shows what the full impact is. And I think that if what the outcome that we need of all of this is moving away from carbon in, in the production of Bitcoin, um, I think this is a good step because it's, it's very specifically saying we're not attacking Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies at large. We're saying we don't want any new projects that are uh, contributing to carbon emissions because they're plugged into, let's say, a coal-fired plant. So I think there's an opportunity here to see that even though you know we can, people look at these types of stories as I cry fud. It's actually an example of regulators looking and, and lawmakers looking at a problem in crypto and and tailoring it down to what really is the root issue instead of a knee jerk. And I think that you know it's an imperfect comparison to the ransomware problem. One because this is a state issue versus a federal, and two because just the nature of what's going on here. But it is heartening to see that these lawmakers are, are willing to to tighten their focus and, and address the root issue. Absolutely. As we said before, I mean, there's an education process going on here. So hopefully uh, at the end of this, we won't be banning all crypto to deal with uh, problems that are really unconnected. So the other big topic at uh, Miami this weekend was this big, big announcement from El Salvador. The president wasn't there in person, but he did uh, record a message saying that his country was about to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, was about to embrace what Bitcoin is called the Bitcoin standard. So how big a news do you think this is, Danny and Anna? And do you think that other Latin American countries or other countries in general will now be looking to adopt Bitcoin as a monetary standard? You know, it's important to, to hedge what's really happening here, but also important to highlight how important it still is. What they're doing, they're not going to abandon the dollar, which has been uh, El Salvador's de facto currency since 2001. The goods, and for accounting purposes, will still be priced in dollars. But as of this morning, all businesses will be required to accept Bitcoin if they're offered it because it will be legal tender, uh, recognized by the state. That's a pretty massive win for the aspect of Bitcoin that really is at its core. You know, if you read the white paper, it's not a Satoshi's electronic peer-to-peer -peer store of value system. It's his payment <laughs> system. And what they're imagining now down in El Salvador is a lightning network-based way to allow the population to transact in Bitcoin. Whether or not that's actually going to be a, uh, bring about massive change, I don't think so, but it probably will bring more uh, investments, capital, tourism, you name it, into El Salvador. So I think all of that is pretty huge uh, statement in favor of Bitcoin, perhaps not on the investment thesis that we've talked about for so long, but more so on the payment side that's at its core. Right. Interesting. To just explain what the Lightning Network is, it's a secondary scaling network, taking a lot of transactions off the chain to make things quicker and easier. Uh, Anna? 
I would be really curious to see if this new law in El Salvador will really lead to economy implications, if there will be a lot of like merchants and companies and services that will be willing to accept Bitcoin as payment. I think it's really impossible to predict the implication of that. Because, you know, it, it, it can actually bring in so much chaos into the monetary system. You know, you, you have this decentralized currency that you cannot control. Maybe you're at the point where you can't control your own currency as well. And El Salvador doesn't have a national currency. They're using the U.S. dollar. It just opens such a large field of opportunities for both good and bad, I think. If the public really bites and starts using Bitcoin to buy stuff, to pay for things, it'll be such a huge, amazing experiment to watch. I really don't dare to make any predictions here. I'm, I'm just very curious to see what happens. I mean, there's a big argument against Bitcoin being a payment system, and that's that uh, it's too valuable for people to give up in the form of exchange. So we'll have to see if that's going to play out here or not. But the funny part actually was for me that if you go to the crypto Twitter and you see the old hardcore Bitcoiners, what they say, most of these people are always like, don't spend your Bitcoin. Like, who wants to spend your Bitcoin? HODL. Like, one day you're going to buy a yacht with that. People are laughing at the Bitcoin pizza deal and stuff. Yeah. And then there is the entire country where you can spend Bitcoin on stuff. And everybody's cheering up. I, I find this a bit ironic, actually. Surely uh, El Salvador is going to do very well out of this, whether it becomes a payment system or not, because there are a lot of people that are now going to be buying houses in El Salvador. They're going to be going down there and partying on the beaches, etc. So it kind of doesn't matter if uh, the stated intention plays out as intended or, or whether uh, other side effects that are beneficial. Because I think, you know, the president has, has already seen his approval rise and he's already got this kind of international attention. So um, you could say he's already won the battle here. Well, he has, and we should note that he not only has won the battle, but he's solidifying his victory through somewhat authoritarian measures like sacking the judiciary and getting rid of those who are investigating him for corruption. At the same time, this, this guy does have an 80% approval rating from his people, and yeah. he was democratically elected. So um, there's an authoritarian tint to this whole thing. Yeah. The strong man who says that uh, Bitcoin is the future. The only thing we can do right now is, as Anna said, just wait and see what happens, because uh, we've really never seen anything like this in the world. I don't know about you guys, but a nation state adopts Bitcoin as legal tender was not on my bingo card. Not at all. There is that argument, but there's also the argument that uh, as soon as a country gives up its sovereign you know, right to have its own currency and dollarizes, then you know, that's really the big decision. And then Going from a dollar to a Bitcoin is maybe not as big a step as going from your own currency to the dollar. So, you know, there is that argument. But I think it's important to, to remember this authoritarian thing, because, I mean, this guy is a bit of a bastard and he might have an 80% approval rating, but that's kind of like that Belarusian guy having a 90% approval rating. You don't know quite whether that's true or not. You can't evaluate that statistics. Yeah, and there is sort of, this whole thing is full of contradictions, as, as there often is in Bitcoin between the kind of, idea of Bitcoin as this freedom loving engineering sort of tool and someone like this guy adopting and sort of speaking the language of, of Bitcoin without really maybe uh, practicing it. Another thing, though, was interesting. Last night, he took to Twitter 
and joined a Twitter Spaces hosted by Nick Carter as the bill was being passed. Uh, he went really in depth into what it was and uh, really discussed what he hopes to accomplish with it. So I've seen some ideas out there that he might just be using this as a distraction from recent controversies. That may also be true, but he is not just putting this crazy thing up there with a recorded video and then moving on. He's engaging on the subject, which I've never seen that before. It's hard to gauge any aspect of this story because it's all so crazy. Yeah. Just going back to the question, though, I mean, uh, given the kind of positive feedback loop he's creating around the subject, do you think Paraguay and Ecuador and Brazil and Argentina and other countries think he'll be uh, looking at this and saying, you know, we can benefit too? Uh, I don't know. It's, there's, there's a lot of publicity stunt to it at the moment. This is the experimental test case, and I want to see where it goes. Like right now, Bukele, that's the president's name, he's going to be meeting with the IMF next week to discuss this Bitcoin program because it really does introduce some very real implications for uh, El Salvador's debt and stuff like that and the bond yeah. issuances. They've pledged to create this $150 million fund, a dollarized fund that will exist to basically buy Bitcoin from citizens who have to, under the law, accept Bitcoin, but they don't want to hold the Bitcoin for obvious reasons. So the government is going to commit to buy their Bitcoin. That means that the government will ultimately have at least under the current plan up to $150 million or will spend rather up to $150 million on buying Bitcoin. And that's going to be a, a volatile holding of theirs. It's going to be separate from the central bank balance sheet, but it will be government owned Bitcoin, which is something we haven't seen really anywhere. So what that will mean for like El Salvador and debt and what it will mean on the world stage, I think that's something that the IMF is uh, going to bring some hard questions about. And, and then imagine what a huge honeypot that government Bitcoin stash will be. Basically, if you're a ransomware hacker, you know. You... Do they have computers to hit with ransomware in El Salvador? Well, that's, that, that's a totally separate question, though. Actually, the story a bit reminds me of the hype that was around Puerto Rico at some point. And it was yeah. like eons ago in crypto terms like it was 2017 i guess where everybody was so hyped about puerto rico becoming like a crypto country crypto jurisdiction Utopia, i think they said yeah yeah what it came to i guess there was a bunch of parties and conferences in puerto rico and some companies established presence there but then like everything in crypto it got forgotten kind of fast there have been some stories recently about a sort of renaissance of the scene down there. And I think maybe hmm. this is driven by the hike in capital gains tax that's supposedly coming in the United States. So some people are going down there where it's obviously tax free. I just wanted to introduce one, one last sort of question here. And it's really about our sort of role as journalists in this sort of discussion. It does seem to me that as soon as like a national leader like Spokaley Guy or someone like Elon Musk talks about Bitcoin, we're all sort of jumping on the story because we take it as sort of validation from the so-called mainstream, this thing that we care about and, and write about all the time. But do you think we're sort of culpable in, in terms of kind of hyping this up and kind of making it into a bigger thing than it, than it needs to be? Uh, and do we maybe need to be a bit more cautious about how we report these things? We absolutely should be cautious. Yo, I think we should definitely be cautious and remind the readers of the broader situation, like who this person is, and we shouldn't be speculating, but we should be reporting the facts about the situation 
But then again, I mean, it's not like we should be ignoring this story. This is, uh, whether regardless of who the person in charge is, this is a, a state taking Bitcoin and saying this is going to be legal tender on par with a dollar, which is absurd. It's a story that demands attention. It's just a matter of making sure you give it the right level you hedge adequately. But the thing is, only time can show what this story will actually be about. You know, now we can see some price movements, and, and this is what most people are actually just con concerned with, you know, if the news are pushing the price up or down. I must admit, like, the, the entire country taking Bitcoin as a legal tender is much larger news that Elon Musk saying something about Bitcoin, but the impact on the price, I think, was like disproportionately smaller yeah. uh, than the Elon Musk-related hype. Well, there's, there's less kind of uh, actors in the market at the moment, and you could say that maybe if this had happened a couple of months ago, then it would have gone absolutely crazy. So, yeah. Um, well, it's also a different story entirely. Like, to get back at that payments versus investment angle, it, right. Musk is a personality who carries a lot of clout in certain circles, but he was saying, I think that this is a good use of my money to invest in Bitcoin. You know, El Salvador is investing in Bitcoin too, but they're not doing it through buying it and, and speculating. They're right. doing it by saying, we think that this will be a value added for the country in payments. So that's a bit more of a nuanced move that I think uh, is harder to um, pump. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anna, and thank you, Danny. Been an enlightening few minutes that we've got to spend lightning. together. Good one there. That's enlightening. We've done uh, ransomware, we've done El Salvador, and we've done much else. And thank you for your time. Thank you to Michelle Musso as well, who produces the show. And I'm Ben Schiller, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Musso, with music by Ender. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>